I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop. Pastor and Laura, wake up. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to our Bible study time. Taking our books of the Bible a chapter at a time. We are in Luke chapter 14 this morning. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Well, I don't think I've ever read this before. What is dropsy? I would remember that. Um, I thought dropsy was a... Well, I looked down in my notes. An accumulation of fluid would indicate illness affecting other parts of the body. The Greek for this word is a medical term found only here in the New Testament. In my head, I always pictured this, them looking like the elephant man, kind of. Oh. Just like a lot of fluid in different places. Well, but I, I that's not based on anything besides my imagination. And hmm. All right, well... Whatever it is, he's suffering. Verse 3. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Do you have any hmm. questions? Well, I didn't. You just see the referring back to the healing on the Sabbath. And it's kind of interesting that both times he asks them, they have nothing to say, they remain silent. Mm-hmm. So they're probably feeling like, yeah, you know, you've got a point, or they've got no comeback. You know what I mean? Well, what are or they they're getting more mad. I don't know. Yeah, if they just wonder if what they're they being would called say, right? to repentance, or if they're just getting in. Enraged. See the interesting, like that verse five. Um, it's he doesn't at the Greek doesn't say ask. It says, and he said to them, a certain um, one of you, uh, the son of the bull, 
So it's like a young bull falls into... Uh, I don't even know what that word is. A well. And then the question is expecting a yes answer. And do you not immediately go to him on the day of the Sabbath? So, like, the whole point is... It's it's more of an accusation. It's not like a question like, would you do this or wouldn't you do this? It's like, of course well, you do right, this. Yeah, it's obvious, like, a, re- a rhetorical question. But they, you know... I don't know. I just, you know, thinking about what's in their head. If they are mm-hmm. feeling like Jesus has a good point or... Yeah, I should reconsider this, or if it, or if you know it's hardening their hearts. Or whatever. What is what does verse six say in your translation? And they had nothing to say. Oh. What does yours? Um. And they didn't have the strength to reply to this. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, strength is it could be ability, but yeah, it's the same thing. So. They were weak. So, anyway. Yeah. The next part's about the hosting a feast and or if you're invited. Which kind of ties all of this together. How so? Like, the healing of dropsy is calling them out for their hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And then the lesson to the guest is um, pride. pride along with a banquet and how you should act. And then the great wedding feast is heaven. So how God acts at a feast as the host, not, you know, so it, there's a slight progression here at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, then moving on to verse 15, the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Excuse me. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. So I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's about prioritizing God. Yeah. Like not putting other things before God. Yeah. I mean, you think of where important people are. They're important around other people. So they're the people in big cities, you know, that have a lot of people looking at them and saying, wow, look at, you know, that's so-and-so or that's so-and-so. And it's the people that are passed by or are 
looked down upon in this world. Um, I mean, there's a number of different leaders in the world that have, or leading thinkers in the world that have said that about Christianity as a knock. I mean, Karl Marx is that Christianity is the opioid of the masses, and it's been said before, you know, that Christianity is a crutch for the weak. So people look at our faith sometimes as something that's just for weak people, but those are just hypocrites, you know, that think they don't need God in their lives because they're good enough by themselves, or actually I don't know what they actually think, but these are what I'm assuming. But you know, this is it's strength to be united with Christ no matter what worldly wisdom, which is foolish compared to God, says. Right. And I think when someone, going back to the other one, where you take the better seat, like if you have pride and you think you're so important and you think, you know, the things you have and your station in life are important, then you... You begin to put that before God, your self and your things you're doing. But when we're humbled or you're in a, you know, poor state or you're not, whatever, famous, then you, I don't know, are more, I don't want to say you're more grateful to God, but you're, it's easier to see how much you need God when you're weak. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul says. You know, when I am weak, that I am strong. Yeah. Yeah, and if you have... these people are like, oh, I get invited to nice banquets all the time. I'll just skip this one. And the other people are, you know, honored to be invited Mm -hmm. because they don't take that for granted, you know? Yeah, if somebody has everything and everyone thinks everyone loves them and they're so important and they're so great, it would be easier for them to think, why would I need God's love? I'm loved by everyone else. And, yeah, sometimes it's as hard as it is for us to understand. Sometimes persecution and trouble and pain are blessings. That keep us closer to our God rather than allowing our ego to be inflated and push him away. Yeah. And God wants, the other thing, you know, in this section, God wants everyone to come, you know. Mm -hmm. Every, there's still room. It's not just, oh, I've got enough people, but there's even more room. Let's fill this house. You know, he wants everyone in heaven. Oh, that's a great point, that he does invite those people too, you know. He does those invite the people. <laughs> those no. He he does invite. I was talking about the rich. Oh, you know he doesn't. Right. It's yeah, not those that those people. Yeah, he he does. He invites everybody. Invite everybody. It's not like he says, "Well, I know the rich won't come, so I'm right. going to invite these people." Sure. All right. Continuing on, verse twenty-five. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, (coughs) 
Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right. So this section is called The Cost of Being a Disciple. Mm-hmm. And the first part is a hyperbole, right? Obviously, uh, he does not want us to hate our family because one of the commandments is to love your father right. and mother. Um, but it's saying, the note here is that you must love Jesus even more than your immediate family. Uh, and then whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Then the next two sections, I guess just sort of to clarify, it's talking about building, sitting down and estimating the cost. And then the king, sit down and consider. It sounds like, okay, you need to plan out what you're going to do. But then he says, in the same way, any one of you does not give up everything can have you my disciples. And I don't see that giving up everything in um, verse 28 through 30. You know, if you want to build a tower... Think about think about the cost before you get started. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I like think... Like, how is that giving up everything? It just sounds like good planning. I guess it's not... doesn't seem like a one-to-one parallel for me. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's a... Part, at least... Um, a little bit of a key in the end of verse 26 when it says even even his own soul or the soul of himself right? oh yeah I was talking about verse 28 I know oh. getting that. so if you like with the mother and brothers and everything the hyperbole I mean it's Becoming a Christian, so not following Christ, not being his disciple, and holding on to something that is from before. Mm-hmm. So it 
just for the picture, think of following Christ as going away from your home to build a tower. Okay. And if you say, well, I can't, I can't be a follower because of my father or mother or, or myself. I can't do it. But when you go and you say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this tower. You understand it's going to mean hard work. You understand it's going to mean that you give up all of these different things in your life and what you used to be back in this, your home place with your family and these different things. And you're going to commit what it takes to build this, the the time, mm-hmm. the effort, the things. So it's not, it's not, um, yeah, hatred. So when your you're parents. estimating the cost, you're... You're just knowing what it takes to accomplish. Yeah, you're not just like, oh, well, like joining a club without reading the... Uh, like agreement, <laughs> like sure. Yeah, I'll do that, and then you, oh yeah, this is too hard. Right, like Maybe. if I said I really want to climb Everest, so I just flew to Nepal and started walking up Everest, I die, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> because I didn't estimate the effort and the strain and the training that it was going to take to do it. Now with Christ, obviously, it's not on our own efforts, but we should understand that. That following Christ in this world is not easy. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're a Pharisee that already had a strong position and you have all these people around you that, you know, are looking to you for advice and you've been giving them terrible advice for years. Mm-hmm. That's difficult to admit you're wrong when you're known for being right morally and theologically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's... I don't know exactly if that answered your question about the... Well, I just didn't didn't connect um, this, like, planning part, but now I can see that, yeah, like, you, the king is making a plan, just sort of, like, when you, I mean, <clears throat> we when we have new members join the church, you take them through classes mm-hmm. and confirmation. You don't just walk in and say... Oh, I want to be a part of this church. Okay. You know, it's kind of like, well, first you need to know all the stuff we believe and you need to take a vow or commit. I don't know what the word is. Not vow sounds sort of cold. No, there is. There Mm -hmm. is um, a vow that you believe these things. So you do all that. That's like the planning, like you're learning about what it's going to take. And then you commit instead of just saying, I'm going to go build this tower and starting, you do the learning about it, the researching, and then you say, all right, now I'm sure I want to do this. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Like that's what we do with confirmands. Right. And that's why we don't have confirmation when kids are in third grade, you know, because they... They can't count what it means to be a Christian. They don't understand as much of what it means. Not that every freshman does either, but they have a little bit better of an understanding. Yeah. And then the last section about saltiness. 
is yeah like you if I don't know don't lose your faith like don't lose your saltiness yeah it's the it's the flavor it's life it's you know salt is makes things better um so yeah continue to be what you are I mean, God did give you gifts. God did give you a personality. And be you. You know, don't just try and be like nothing else. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We'll be in Luke 15 tomorrow looking at the parable of the lost sheep to kick it off. So have a great day. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop Pastor and Laura wait.